What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, Roast Beef, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk to Jeff Ross. Yes, the official Roastmaster General. Jeff was in Austin to kick off his bumping mics tour with David Tell, and we recorded this the night before, right when he landed. I went to the show the next day, and it was unreal. You should definitely check it out if he's near your town. You can go to roastmastergeneral.com to see dates and locations. I highly recommend it, roastmastergeneral.com. Jeff Ross learned at a young age how to roast people as a defense mechanism. He has since impressively gets paid to now insult people for a living. That's impressive. We talk about a bunch of fun topics from being a film major in college to hosting the Comedy Central roasts, Netflix specials, and selling out theaters. Jeff is super busy but still made time to hang out for an hour while we taped this episode at midnight before his show. Not only is he a stand-up comedian, he is a stand-up person. In this conversation, you're going to enjoy three big things. Number one, mentors and the older generation, from his mentor buddy Hackett to bowling at Eddie Murphy's house. Two, how to enjoy the process, a sign Jeff looks at daily, and I loved when he said it to me. And number three, thinking for yourself and generating your own ideas. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. All right, I want to do something hugely nice for Jeff, so I am giving away two free tickets to see Jeff Ross and Dave Attell on the Bumping Mics tour in your city. Plus, I'm giving away five copies of Jeff's book. To win, all you have to do is comment on Jeff's Instagram. That's at the real Jeffrey Ross, saying you heard him on this show. Just be like, yo, I heard you on the Noah Kagan Presents. You're the man. I love you so much. Uh, and I just want to give Jeff a lot of appreciation for him coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with us. So if you just love Jeff or you love this episode, go again and comment on Instagram. That's at the real Jeffrey Ross. It would mean a lot to him and to me to go do this. Thank you guys. Also, a special pre-show shout out listener to Delphin of USA. And he is the co-owner of the Generator Lab in Austin, which I go to pretty often. He mentioned that he listens to every single episode, which really means a lot. I appreciate that, homie. Yeehaw. If you want to shout out in a future episode, you know what to do. Go leave an iTunes review. I check every single one of them. They make my morning whenever I see it in my inbox that there's a new one. We're on with Jeff Ross. Hi, Jeff Ross. How you doing? This is pretty wild. It's awesome to meet you. Oh, yeah. Same. Yeah. I've been a big fan for hours now. <laughs> so what do you love most about the show? How short the episodes are. <laughs> I heard one, it was like five minutes. Is that your favorite one? Yeah. Well, one thing you said when we first walked in, you said that you were doing this as a charity, as a nonprofit to help us out. But you said that a lot of people were douchebags to you or didn't really give you the chance. What was that like coming up? Yeah, I mean, it was really hard. You know, I mean, nobody's rooting for you. I didn't have like a big family support system as far as my comedy career. When somebody is nice to you, you remember them forever. And when you when somebody's mean, you don't forget. Sometimes you'll get over it. You can't hold a grudge. I mean, it's a tough business, but you just remember all that stuff. So yeah, you guys seem like nice guys. And I think so. Yeah. Do you remember like the first break or first nice, not break, but like nice thing that you started experiencing where someone hooked you up or took care of you? I remember uh, up at Catch a Rising Star, Louis Ferranda and Rick Newman, who owned the place, they let me hang out by the bar and be the backup comic. I remember I offered Jackie Mason tickets. I paid for them myself to come to one of my shows, and he didn't show up. And I always kind of like remembered that because I was a big fan. So when people blow you off, you kind of remember that too. Did you ever see Jackie later? Yeah, about decades later. So we, were, we had a great conversation. But yeah, I was a big fan. I saw all his early Broadway shows and stuff. My Aunt Bess used to take me and. She was one of my early supporters. She would take me to Broadway shows. She even uh, came to see me perform once, and uh, she was wonderful. 
That's awesome. How did you deal with the rejection early on? Is it you say like I'm going to do comedy no matter what? Was that your dream? No, I just uh, you just took it. I didn't deal with it. I mean, I dealt with it by letting it hurt me. It was tough. You know, I didn't have a big defense mechanism. I had a lot of loss early in my life with personal stuff and family members, but it didn't kill me. So I wasn't going to let show business kill me. Not that it was some big dream I was pursuing, but it was like a really, really, really fun hobby. How this is your hobby, that was my hobby. I just did it for the love of it, just to meet people. Did you go to college? I went to Boston University. Were you in comedy through that? Was the plan to like graduate and go to comedy? No, I didn't. I wasn't in comedy at all. Wasn't until way afterwards. I was a broadcasting and film major and a minor in political science. Yeah, so this is a big happy accident. Kind of like this podcast. Should we roast the podcast first, just get out of the way? No, not your hired help. <laughs> roast your own fucking podcast. I got my own shows to worry about. What are you worried about? I have a show tomorrow night in Austin and the next night in San Antonio and the next night in uh, Houston and I gotta be on my game. Got David Tell coming in, so I can't be slacking off. I gotta be hitting homers. I guess some of the things that I was curious about from meeting with you was just like, how did you find your style of comedy? Like, how did you end up going from journalism into comedy and then being like, all right, this is going to be my thing within comedy? Just by doing it a lot. But how did you choose roasting? Were you doing a bunch of jokes or were you just always roasting from the beginning? No, I didn't start roasting till later. In the beginning, I just told stories about my dad's catering business and other shit. Then eventually started going, oh, making fun of people is a lot more fun. Did people just respond to it? Were you doing a lot of different types of comedy? And then when you did that, people were like, oh shit, like there's something different about that? It was just more fun because I was just unleashing this venom. It felt powerful. It was like walking in a, a boxing ring. It was just more exciting. All my friends were, all my colleagues were just doing the same old kind of thing. I was like, oh, well, this feels like, like I was in a band or like I was playing guitar or something. Like the crowd response was so much more intense and they were so much more engaged and people remembered everything I said. It felt like a good lane. Was it right away when you started doing it that people hit? Yeah, first time. Do you remember any of the first jokes or first roast stuff? At the roast, yeah. I was roasting Steven Seagal. No one knew me. He was like the biggest movie <laughs> action star. I said, uh, it's like 2,000 people there. I realize a lot of you don't know me, but I feel uniquely qualified to be here today because I'm also a shitty actor. <laughs> and I don't even know if I was a shitty actor, but I knew he was. I was thinking like maybe were you picked on so you wanted to unleash on a lot of other people? I think roasting is a great self-defense against bullies. Bullies try to intimidate people and... But we all know that they're vulnerable and they're weak. So if you can humiliate a bully, then you got them. I mean, that's, yeah, I got picked on and I used roasting to fight back. I was wondering, I was like, man, I wonder if after the roast people come and punch you or like fight you or just like take it really badly. No, that's never really happened. How was the Steven Seagal roast? That was the greatest. Really? It was so fun. Steven Seagal. I was like the first movie star I ever met. Is there any roast that when people roast you that actually hurts your feelings? Every time. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's hard. They make fun of me. I'm sensitive and, and I have to learn how to take it or I'd be a hypocrite. But of course, the jokes, they're vicious. You can't sit here and pretend it doesn't. I mean, that they're not great jokes that aren't thought out. And I mean, some jokes are stupid, but sometimes, you know, especially when a friend roasts me and I have a lot of friends at these roasts, it hurts. What have been some of your highlights for your roasts? The ones you're like, these are like my, uh, I don't know, my Olympics of roast or... Are the ones that come to mind. Justin Bieber, Flava Flav. Pop stars are always kind of really funny. Musicians are really fun to roast. Those were good ones. Charlie Sheen was a good one. Roasted Donald Trump a couple times. What were some of those roasts on him? I think I said his book, uh, Art of the Deal. I asked him why it had why it was all chapter 11. <laughs> <laughs> 
Something like that. I had some good jokes. Like, I knew where his soft spots were early on. He can't make fun of his finances. He doesn't like that. The thing that we were talking about earlier, I want to come back to the college stuff, but, you know, pro athletes train, like, go to the gym. They're doing that. Like, how does a, a pro roaster train? I write the jokes. I go to a comedy club, try them out, tell the audience who I'm roasting, and work the material like it's my act for as long as I have. Sometimes you have a week. Sometimes you have a month to prepare. Just like learning a script like an actor. But I'm constantly changing it and updating it. And once I kind of know the jokes and the angles I want to take, I can almost learn it and then forget it so that I can improvise on top of that. Can you walk through like the anatomy of a roast joke? Like a roast of Bieber. Like do you have a joke that you like you kept working on refining? I guess I'm curious like how the process actually is to create a joke and how long it takes. Because I think it's Well, you got to watch his videos. You got to listen to his music. You got to get familiar with the subject. There's always one or two jokes that are like right off the top like you could just read the tabloids and just it's almost like judging a book by its cover i called bieber the king joffrey of pop so it's like the king of pop which he kind of is or was you know right in those years and then joffrey was just killed on game of thrones so there you have a joke bringing a pop culture idea into his bad attitude and his partying behavior you know he had just crashed a ferrari so so that's one. That's like an easy one. And then, you know, you research them. You know, I just I just roasted, um, you know, Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin. I watched all their movies. I watched all their interviews. I read the book that Alec Baldwin wrote. You know, I really like its method roasting. I go deep. Like how much time does it take to prepare for that? As much as I have. If they tell me two days before I work for two days, if they tell me a month, as soon as I hear the name, I can't stop thinking about it. What have you noticed that people respond to? Like when you go on stage and you say a joke and you're like, that is funny. What are, why are they not getting it? Uh, they always get it. Every time? I mean, if you miss, you miss. It's not their fault. It's not my fault. You just got to like try again and meet them in the middle. I mean, everyone's here to have a good time, but I'm certainly trying. So if it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. But there's no frustration. It's more like I'm no more frustrated than, than if I'm a pitcher and I pitch two balls before I hit a strike. I just keep going until you hit. You have to trust that you're always going to land right side up. Do you get nervous? I don't think I get nervous the way you think people get nervous. I get maybe anxious or I get a little more intense than, you know, more focused. It might seem nervous because I'm kind of like pacing or just burning off energy. And I feel pressure, big show like that. But that's why I like working with David Tell because we share it. Like my brain has to work double overdrive because he's so good. But uh, I just kind of try to enjoy the process, enjoy being up there, enjoy all of it. I guess I was thinking, do you ever accidentally roast someone you don't intend to? Like you, I was thinking you're in Starbucks. And you're like, yeah, I want my, I don't, what's your drink of choice? Black coffee. Black coffee, that's great. And then you have your coffee that people should judge. Is there an online site or somewhere no. they can check it out? We did a two-day holiday pop-up, Roastmasters Mean Beans. You missed it. Sorry, folks. Next Christmas. All right. Well, check out, if you check out Thick Skin with Jeff Ross, it's my favorite podcast. I Come listened on. to it before mine. Really? It's on my phone. I love it. I love really? it. I put it out in a few weeks, I noticed. Yeah. What happened? I took a vacation. So do you ever go to Starbucks and accidentally roast someone you don't mean to? You're like, oh, you know, you're sure. And they're like, here's your black coffee. Does that ever happen to you? No, I definitely try to turn it off. And people kind of get it. Occasionally, if I'm out at night and people are drunk, they'll be like, roast me, roast me. People want to talk about, about the roast you know, which is fun. But rarely do people like follow me down the street roasting me or asking me to roast them. Do you ever roast yourself? I was just wondering if you wake up in the morning and then go in the bathroom and be like, Jeff, and then you, I don't know, some joke. You know, I, I think if anything, it's the opposite. I tell myself lies, compliments, look how good you look, you beautiful person. You're really going to do something great with your life today. <laughs> Positive affirmations. Do you do that a lot? Sure. You know, I don't know if I do it literally, but I, you know, I, I definitely don't 
look in the mirror and start making fun of myself. If anything, I'll be like, oh, fuck, I look like shit. I got to get to the, I got to get to yoga. Coming back to the stuff we were talking about in the beginning is like, how did you go from college doing kind of comedy as this hobby and then make this life out of it? By doing it for fun, especially in the beginning. You know, I wasn't wasting my education. I was still a film major and a college graduate, but I said like, I didn't decide to be a comedian. I tried comedy. You know what I mean? I was like just doing it for shits and giggles, to make friends, to have a social life, to have a creative outlet. So by not making it this big step, it really made it fun. And I don't think I would have done it if I had been like, I got to go out to LA and make it and try it out. Like, I don't think I ever would have made that jump because I didn't see that, all that potential. I didn't feel like I was, you know, I didn't think I'd be this person. I didn't know where I'd be, but I didn't have like a dream of being a comedian. Even after I was doing it for a while, I didn't know. I thought maybe I'd be a, a some kind of, get some kind of comedy writing job maybe or something. Yeah. I didn't have dreams of selling out the motherfucking Paramount in Austin. Hell yeah. Did you have other dreams or what were the other dreams? I didn't know. I was baffled. I didn't know what I was going to do. How'd you go about solving that or working through that? I never made long-term plans. I just sort of one gig at a time, one joke one day at a time, just sort of kept doing comedy because it was fun. And then after a while, I was like, fuck, I feel like I just want to do TV one time, but I don't care if I ever do it again. Like I wasn't addicted or anything. But yeah, I was, maybe I was in denial because I was still doing it every single day. And then it just became like the easiest option. Like any other real job would have been a lot more work and rules and comedy was fun. It was chicks. I made a couple bucks. I got free food sometimes. I got to see different states that I never would have seen. First time I flew to Texas, actually. It was my first time on a plane as a comedian. How was that? It was cool. It wasn't even here. It was like some little... Bodunk College somewhere near the New Mexico border. It was just like a happy turn of events of my buddy Mark Chapin, who I just hung out with all week, said, hey, you should try comedy. I think you'd be good at it. He was taking a comedy class. I was already two years out of college. What were you doing then? I was writing training films. My college buddy and I started a little company, kind of like you guys, in Manhattan, making training films for health and beauty aids companies and shit like that. Health and beauty aids? Yeah, like drugstores. Like, you know, I don't know what, what they are here, but like Rite Aid. and Yeah, CVS. They were called everyone's stores. There's like a dozen of them in Manhattan. We would make their training films and create their ads and we did shit like that. Oh, and so he told you to get into comedy? And that's what kind of... What? My buddy Mark, yeah. So you just started writing and, and what, what was... It was actually on my podcast this week. How did that transition? So he's like, hey, let's get into... You should get in comedy, you're funny. Yeah. And what'd yeah. you do? We took a class. Some weird place called the Manhattan Punchline Institute. I don't know if it's still around. But uh, Lee Frank is a comedian and a writer and he taught the class. And yeah, that was like in 1989. What was the first time being on TV like? He said that was like when a, a big aspiration for you. First time on TV, I mean, a little shady about which ones were which, because I probably taped a few things around the same time. But just being in front of cameras was fun. I'd never been in front of a camera, really. Went to film school. I was always behind. I'd spoken a little bit on mics. I was a, a DJ and a music director of my college radio station in Boston. So I had a little bit of experience just like talking into, to other people. But stand-up was like a high. It was exciting as fuck, you know. It was like, I don't know, people were listening. It was cool. What was the first show? That you finally got on for TV? It was probably Caroline's Comedy Hour on A&E. You remember that? Colin Quinn was the host. I think that might have been it. Yeah. Had some ridiculous red pants and a blazer and sideburns like I was on 90210 or something. Had an earring and I made some jokes about my Aunt Bess. And uh, she died like two days later. So <laughs> it was crazy. 
You feel bad about it? It was that? tough back then. Did you make a joke and then they die? That happens sometimes. I do appreciate you do the rest in peace. The roast in peace. Roast in peace, yeah. I like when you do that on your show. It's a good cathartic thing. On my podcast, we roast whoever died this week. And sometimes it's painful because you don't want to do it. You don't want to admit it, but yeah. I think early on, I think I've heard you talk about you hung out with like Buddy Hackett or someone like George Carlin, maybe? I knew Buddy Hackett. He was even older generation. What was that like? The best. So cool. Hilarious, funny, incredibly funny, thoughtful person. All the old timers were, were fun to get to know, to the roast, to the Friars Club. That was fun to get to know the old guys because they, you know, you can pick up little tricks without even knowing you're picking them up, like how to be funny when you're older and how to act and what's important. And you hear them talking and you can kind of see the choices they made in their careers and lives. And it's cool. How did that affect you or what did you learn? No, it's yourself? just like having mentors, you know, but he was like a big brother. One thing I, I've been curious about is I never really hear you talk about like wife or girlfriends. And I also never hear you talk about drinking. I was just kind of curious about that. I, I do all that. <laughs> <laughs> I drink with my wife and my girlfriend. <laughs> Drinking's great. But you know, I mean, you know, I'm more of a pot smoker. But I'll always have a drink occasionally. For all your roast stuff, do you normally keep like a log? Or how do you normally organize all of your thoughts around jokes? Because like some of the times I've noticed there's like certain comedians taking another joke and then they make an alteration and so forth. Oh yeah. Do you have like a diary? Do you have Google Doc? Do you have a Microsoft Word? Depends what I'm doing, you know. Most of it goes into the uh, notes app on my phone. I record my sets. If I need to listen back, I'll listen back. If I have something longer to write, I'll break out the laptop and you sit there like any other writer and just try to find it. You know, that's the heavy lifting. That's the real work right there. You know, going on stage is fun, but, you know, coming up with all the shit, that's the job. I mean, that can be fun too, especially when you hit something you know is going to work. But performing's super fun. It's the travel that's hard and it's the writing that's the challenge. For the people in the audience, a lot of the audience is like entrepreneurs, small business owners, people coming up in the world and creating I their own. I guarantee you there's no big business owners listening to this. <laughs> so I'm sure there's a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> and small business owners. Yeah, I don't think the senior vice presidents of General Electric are like, let's see what Noah has to say. You don't know. So I, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. We're going to send fan mail, like one piece of fan mail, be like, I am Noah's fan. I'm trying to think of a company, like the U.S. Postal Service. Or the guy who ran Nissan that just snuck out of uh, <laughs> Japan. How did that happen? Do you hear about that? He did it in basically a big roadie box. Like it was in a, like he was a pair, set of drums they took him out. No way. Yeah. They put him in a box? He put himself in a box, and he had two guys who look like roadies carry him out to a private plane. Are you a big news buff? I noticed that you got really interested and excited about the politics a bit. Yeah. You got to care, man. You got to do comedy about stuff, and you got to know what people are thinking, and that stuff's important. Just to ask, if there's some jokes on your notes that you can share? You said you wrote some jokes on your notes app. Oh, well, all the time. Right here it says Greta, SeaWorld, Cousin Milton, Stevie Wonder, Bieber, Trump farted, Peter Bread, Pope. So, you know, a lot of it is just sort of things that try to trigger something. I wrote, my dick is so big, I'm always in a long-distance relationship. I wrote, microdosing mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Sometimes you just cryptically put it down in the middle of the night and then it becomes full sentences later on. You have to practice it. I think that's interesting about comedy that as an audience member, neither of us are professional, but it's like, we just think you, you're like, you're in the shower, you have a joke, you go on stage and you tell it. I think we miss that, like how much work actually goes into to creating it. Oh yeah, man. It's a job. Like anything else, you know, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. The more you make, the more people respond. How do you not make it a job? Like, how do you not, you know, keep it as your hobby or as a fun thing? That it helps, you know, you 
touring with a buddy, which is what I've been doing, helps. And I have my friends who work on my shows with me, and I try to bring people I care about along for the ride and try to enjoy the process. I have a big neon sign in my house that says that. Enjoy the process? Yeah. Let me ask, what does that mean to you? It means enjoy the process. What does it mean to you? I think sometimes it's easy to get bored for myself. I notice I just like, I'm doing something and I'm like, I haven't mastered it all, but I've kind of understood it. And then I kind of want to move on to the next thing. But I definitely think there's more there, at least for myself to like go practice it more or keep doing it more. Like I'll do something for like a year and then kind of like take a break versus mm-hmm. like, all right, what if I just kept going with it? So that's the process. So you're not, are you stressing about the break? No, you know you need the break, so you're you're enjoying it. You're not sweating it. ETP, baby. Enjoy the process. Write it down. Well, for the big business listeners, big money yeah. listeners, we yeah. have a lot of big companies. Let's talk uh-huh. like uh, Fortune Fortune 10,000. Uh-huh. For someone who's like, I want to be a comedian, I'm kind of curious like, what the salary looks like over that type of career. I mean, it's nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing and then something and then a little bit more and then something. And if you're going into it for the money, it's a lost cause. Yeah. Because you're going to do most of your jobs, most of your shows for free for years. And I still go on for free all the time just to work on material for when I am getting paid. So if you think about salary, you have to think about it in terms of, you know, not the gig, but the year. How'd you do this year? And somehow after 30 years, still make more each year than I did the year before or close to it, which is a good sign. You know, I'm getting better and making it the business is working. And then when the business start making money, that's when you really have some freedom to go, all right, I'm not going to take that gig. That gig's a little beneath me, or I've outgrown that creatively, or I don't really need that money. I'd rather, you know, do three more shows of what I want to do in the town that I want to go. So now, you know, I can pick and choose the kind of shows and places I want to go. I only go to cities I kind of want to go to. I work with people for the most part, like I can pick the openers who come with me. In the beginning, you couldn't. It was just like whoever was there, the club picked them. You know, so as far as like the wealth of it, the wealth of it isn't just dollars. It's the process. It's getting to do it the way you want to do it, the creative freedom and working with people that you choose to work with as opposed to people who you don't know who just hire you. It's interesting. So you didn't focus on the salary or, or the money. It was like, hey, I, was it immediately like, hey, this is just something I, I'm really enjoying. I can see myself doing it. I knew that if I really worked hard at it, I saw right away at the open mics that I was funnier than most of the beginners. And then as I started to move into the regular, more mainstream clubs, I saw that those mainstream, bigger comics were showing me some respect. And I was a good enough judge of character to know that they weren't fucking with me. They didn't need anything from me. They were vicious to so many people, but they would be like, all right, you could go on at the end or whatever. So you start to see that other people see it. And that's a big vote of confidence, especially, you know, when you can't go home to your parents who are telling you how wonderful you are. Like, I never had any of, any of that. You know, I never had, you know, the wife and saying, you were so funny, you know. So I was like, I had to get it from the outside. I had to really read the people that were hiring me. And, and you have to stick up for yourself. You know, you have to make sure that you're not making bad deals. And, you know, you can't just rely on some manager or agent. You really have to think these through yourself i have a good support team and you know i've been with my managers and agents probably 10 years and that's good because it's good to have some stability but as far as what you want you really have to think it through yourself especially when you've been around a while because you have to know what you want if you're renting your first apartment you kind of take whatever's available in that neighborhood that has good parking and you know hot and cold running water and, and air conditioning 
But once you can afford what you want, you really got to take the time to find what you want or you won't be happy. So I enjoy working with David Tell. I enjoy, you know, working on my own shows. So I do the, the shows I want to do. It was hard in the beginning. You know, I turned down stuff that would have paid better, good paying gigs in order to do creatively what I wanted. So there were some hard choices along the way. But what were some of those? I don't know, like hosting a game show before I really knew what I was going to be and who I was going to be. And it didn't appeal to me at the time. In some ways, I wish I'd done it now because the money would have been so good. It would have bought me all kinds of freedom and fun. But got a lot of money offers to do cruise ships and kind of hackier acts along the way but you know you go oh, you know what i really want to kind of stay true to what i like do you feel like you have the freedom you want now pretty much but not entirely no i mean i probably have it entirely but when you as soon as you want to sell something to a network you know you have a little bit of diplomacy that goes into it you know the people i work with are very allow me a great freedoms you know comedy central and netflix have been really good about at least me and you know and in the beginning now i didn't but i earned it over time, you kind of earn it and then you can you learn to expect it. Part of that is, like I said, generating your own ideas and your own shows. You know, if you can't generate your own ideas, you have to get cast in other people's ideas and then they're the boss. But if you come up with your own shit, even if it's not as big, it's yours. It's like your podcast, you know, you're the, you get to control it. What does your support team look like? I have a manager and an agent and they have, they have helpers and my cousin Ed sort of helps me produce my shows and comes with me to a lot of gigs and sort of tour manages, helps me write. We write together. We do the podcast together. I have another helper named Eddie who helps me also. And Is your cousin's name Eddie? Yeah, they're both Eddie. Shout out to the Eddies. You know, it's not much more than that. Keep it pretty tight. I do a lot of it myself. One of the things that, that I took away from chatting with you or I enjoyed was how you said like Buddy Hackett and these other people that you learn from. Like how would someone work with you if someone was like a young, you know, up and coming comedian? Well, the easiest path has been through the roast battles. We do them every week at the comedy store, and that's kind of first stop for a lot of comedians when they get to L.A. or when they want to start doing open mics. They try doing the roast battles on Tuesdays in the belly room at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard. And a lot of my best friends now and a lot of the people who write for me and appear on the roast battles and appear on the roasts and help to write the historical roasts and performed on the historical roasts on Netflix, they all came through those roast battles. So I would say that's a good spot. What's the balance between people helping you write versus you doing your uh, creating your own? We as an audience assume it's like always like the one person. Like I just watched his name Neil Brennan. Yeah, I didn't even realize he's he actually helps Dave. I guess write a lot of Dave Chappelle's jokes. I didn't even know that Dave writes his own jokes, but they wrote a movie together and they created the Chappelle Show and wrote that together. Okay, yeah, and Neil's brilliant. I work with him every night at the Comedy Store. He's great. Yeah, no, I mean, I write most of my stuff myself, but if I'm working on a TV show like Historical Roasts on Netflix where you're writing for all these different characters, you know, you have a writer's room and it's a collaborative effort and you're writing for a lot of different people with storylines and stuff like that. And it enables me to also then perform it and promote it and produce it and edit it. You know, you have a whole writer's room. You know, for instance, we roasted Abe Lincoln and Bob Saget played Abe Lincoln and John Stamos played John Wilkes Booth and there were other characters. So we had to write all their scripts plus my script. And, you know, it's a lot. Sometimes it's a group effort. Yeah. But I still look at every single script and go over it and, you know, punch them up and rehearse them and kind of make it all filter through my taste, my voice, my sensibility. How do you decide what to do in your career? There's stand up and then you came into roasting and then you did TV, which you really wanted to do. And then, you know, you've done like the Netflix thing, which I think definitely elevated you. 
And then you have your, you create your podcast. I guess I was just curious how you, you think through that stuff. I guess it's fun. It can't cost too much money. Like the podcast is, is a hobby. It's for fun. It's not like I have to fly to Vegas every weekend to do it. I just do it in my basement, in my house. And you just do things that are exciting. I don't like to repeat myself too much. So I like to try different things, writing and directing and producing and stand up and pumping mics and roasting and roast battles. Like it's all the same, but it's all different. I don't get bored. You have to keep your audience surprised. You know, those are always the best shows when you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But what was the process for the bumping mics? That's what you're doing in Austin. You're, you're on yeah. tour over that. Yeah. Did you have complete control? Did someone come to you? Were you just, did you do a stand up with Dave? Like how did that come to be? Well, you never have complete control if you're working with Dave because Dave has complete control. Dave's the force. You got to try to harness him. And it all happened organically. We were just goofing off at the comedy cellar late at night and Dave would bring me up just to fuck around and get our yayas out. I'd fly in from LA to New York. I'd just go visit him at the comedy cellar, see who was hanging out. And inevitably, Dave would bring me up and we just started messing around, trying to make each other laugh. And I saw the potential and pitched it up to the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. And we did three nights up there. And it was a real scene. And all the big stars jumped on stage with us and came to the shows. And and then Netflix had the idea of doing uh, three episodes and making it a series. Nice. And yes, we have complete control over it. One thing I've been wondering about people at different levels of uh, fame and attention, did you notice like the different steps? Like, hey, I'm on like the circuit level or then I got on a TV show and then the Netflix. Did you, you experience that? And what's that been like for you? You never feel it that way. You just feel so incremental. You don't see the steps like that. Not till you look way back. You have to look 10 steps back to even see that you went anywhere. It'd be like taking a hike and every step looking back. I don't have time for that to think back or pat myself on the back too much. Or So it's not something you're as like intentional or concerned about? You just kind of keep going on the things you enjoy? Yeah. I know it sounds so obvious, but maybe it is that obvious. It sounds like for you, you're just like, hey, what's where can I keep working on my craft? What are other things I want to explore professionally? Right. It's not like, oh, how do I get more fame or how do I like climb a ladder or do other things? No, the fame, the ladder, and the money is always the last part of the thought. It's more like, this will be fun. Oh, man. You know, I'm thinking about doing something at NBA All-Star Weekend. I'm going to the Super Bowl. I could be making more money doing other stuff, but you get a gig like that. It's like a lot of action, a lot of fun. It's exciting. So I let that guide a lot of it. Like quality of life, enjoying the process as opposed to I made an extra, you know, X amount of money, but I missed the NBA All-Star Weekend show to do a comedy club in Irvine, California, which is also amazing. Shout, shout out Great. to Irvine. Love Irvine. They're very good to me, but you know, it's not as exciting as the Super Bowl and shit. I was thinking it's pretty surreal. Like, is it ever surreal to you? That you're like, all right, I'm going to invite it to like that Super Bowl or the NBA All-Star show to go make fun of people. I went bowling at Eddie Murphy's house a couple months ago. That was pretty <laughs> surreal. <laughs> that is surreal. Yeah. How was that? That was cool. You know, I've met presidents. You meet rock stars. It's always a little surreal. Not always, but often. How was bowling at Eddie's house? I did well. And what'd you score? About 180. Really? Are you an active bowler? I bowled well. That's good. And Eddie was very, very great host, very gracious. Cleans up the, uh, make sure everyone has their sh bowling shoes and doesn't let you scuff it up and make sure everybody's well taken care of. He's a he's a great guy. How does that happen? Is it something like you guys are buddies or is it like, hey, I want to do some comedy stuff? No, but stuff? my buddies are his buddies. So I got to come along. Is that pretty exciting for you? Is that like something that you're like, oh, wow, it's Eddie Murphy. Like, I'm excited to go meet oh, him. Oh my God, it was craziest. So much fun. I was walking in with Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Murphy had just had a baby. And the house is so big. Eddie Murphy's house is so big. It's like a castle. Like, it's so big. 
you know, gigantic piece of land. Like you're like walking in a Buckingham Palace. And uh, it was like one in the morning and Sasha goes, you think we'll wake the baby? <laughs> like the house, there's no way that baby could, wherever that baby was, was nowhere near where we were. <laughs> All right, wrapping it up. So I was feeling really sad. I just was really off for the week. And I put on your podcast and it really made me feel awesome. Oh, thanks. Felt really good. And one of the lines that you say a lot at the end, I kind of was just reflecting on. I was reflecting on it recently and I reflected on, especially that week that was really tough for me. Yeah, the line is like, uh, life is hard, but we're going to get through it together. Right. I was curious to just hear more about that because it definitely, it resonated with me. I was like, fuck, Jeff's here. At least he's putting the message out there to do it together. I had a buddy commit suicide last year and another buddy uh, checked himself into a facility last week. And I heard about another buddy just as I was waiting for you who's just went on the, off the wagon. Sorry to hear that. It's good to check in with your friends, which I always do, try to. And I'm always there, you know, you always say, I'm here for you if you need anybody, you want to talk to anybody. So the podcast that I do is an extension of that. We don't really have to talk about depression. We don't really have to talk about your problems. We could just crack a few jokes, but don't forget, like, you know, and, and if you're sad, tune in, you know, we're getting through it together. And that's enough sometimes. Like, just know that we're kind of having a bonding session. It's It doesn't have to be anything emotional or dramatic. You can just check in with people. And I feel like the podcast people are checking in with me and maybe somehow through the podcast, you know, I'm checking in with them. You were like, I was listening to Caesar one and I really appreciated it. I try to put an emotional angle into all the podcasts so that it's not just like another celebrity podcast or some, you know, goof off session. Like I ask all the guests how they get through tough times and stuff like that and try to make it a emotionally supportive. What is it for yourself? Like how do you recharge and how do you get through it? I don't get too down. I did early in my life. I like listening to Rodney Dangerfield on YouTube. He's so miserable, it makes me happy. It's like the blues. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you. Hey, my wife, she's a bad cook. I don't know, meatloaf is supposed to glow in the dark. Anyway, in my house, we pray after we eat. <laughs> so Rodney, like, no matter how bad things are for us, like, Rodney always had it worse. No respect. No respect at all. Thanks for coming on the show. Hell yeah. It was Appreciate really it. fun. Appreciate it, man. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you love the episode. If you did, go check out Jeff at the real Jeffrey Ross on Instagram and go see the Bumpy Mike's tour. It is so fucking funny. I'm giving away free tickets to see Jeff live on tour plus five of his books. Just comment on Jeff's Instagram at the real Jeffrey Ross that you heard him here and you love the show. That's all you got to do. Comment on Jeff's Instagram at the real Jeffrey Ross that you heard him on the show and that you loved him. I will check out and give away all that stuff to you sexy bastards. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go do an open mic together. And before you go, let me know what you thought of the episode by emailing podcast at okdork.com. I read them almost none of the time. And a final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com. I say this every week, man. You're the best. You're the best, dog. And thanks to Sean, David, and Mitchell at the Dork team for making everything happen. And a special shout out to Justin from Louisiana at Sumo this week. You're the man. It's been a long time. I'm glad I met you on Reddit. What is your favorite joke.